Welcome to the Weekly Movie Throwdown. I'm Mike Messinio. And I'm Stephen Sigmund. This week, we continue with Jason Statham Month, and we've got a good one this week. 2015 comedy action movie, Spy, written and directed by Paul Feig, starring Melissa McCarthy, and of course, with a fantastic supporting role, Jason Statham. Tell me where the bomb is. Ten seconds or you're dead. Interesting. I'm the only one who knows where that nuke is. Well, then, in that case, I'd say you'd better stop. Oh, oh my God. What? Why did you do that? I didn't do it on purpose. There's like a ton of pollen in here. When I quit teaching and joined the CIA, I thought I was going to be this amazing spy, and I'm still just the same boring person I was. You play it too safe. I just hear my mom's voice. Just blend in, let somebody else win. Making a wave isn't always brave. Brilliant. Give up on your dreams, Susan. Just to write that in my lunchbox. We've intercepted chatter that Rayana Boyanov knows where that nuke is. She knows the identity of all our agents. We need someone to find the bomb without being detected, but it can't be any of you. We need someone invisible. I'll do it. Uh, okay. Thanks, lunch lady. I'm serious. Don't let me down, Cooper. I will not. I will let you up. Stop talking. I will let you up. We're giving you a new identity. You will no longer be Susan Cooper. You're Penny Morgan, divorced housewife from Iowa. The confidence builder. really think you're ready for the field. Damn it! Who puts a roof on a scooter? What are you, the Pope? Yeah, he's something else in this. Um, it, it's really fun to see him expand a little bit. And I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit. He's better than we remember. Like genuinely funny at a lot of points. Yeah, I'll admit that in my memory, it just kind of felt like Statham being Statham and everyone being funny around him. But on the rewatch, he has actual comedy chops. And I was surprised at how good his comic timing was and how willing he was to play the fool and really play off the persona that we know of him. And that in a way is why it's so funny because we expect X from him. And then he gives us a twist on it where he's not actually good. We're not really sure if he's actually good at anything that he's doing. He just yeah. really talks like he is. And, and, that, and that makes it really fun to watch. He reminded me of um, The Rock and Samuel L. Jackson and the other guys. They just have right. this elevated bravado that is completely out of place with reality. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, That's really but, funny you brought that up because I was thinking that too. At first, when I was watching this, and I went back to the rewatch and I thought, well, this was, you know, it was a really good time, you know, for action comedies, this, you know, 2010 to 2016 period. Uh, and then, of course, I looked a little closer and realized I was totally wrong. There were a bunch of awful action comedies that came out. There's only like five of them that were genuinely good. The other guys, this one, uh, 21 Jump Street was actually, I think, pretty underrated. And Central Intelligence, which I also <laughs> uh, really liked, but... You know, you also have garbage like the A-Team and, and Baywatch and all kinds of not good stuff. So 
on the whole bad. But yeah, other guys in this one both do a really good job of playing off of what we expect from action movies and tweaking it enough to kind of show you how absurd it is, but actually playing it straight in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's heart to it. And there's uh, a lot of um, real action in it. It's not just pure comedy. Like, I think the the other guys is is more comedy than action in a way, but this is this is more kind of, uh, it's kind of both, kind of 50-50, I think. And credit to Paul Feig, who we're going to talk about a little bit, but uh, wanted to make a James Bond movie, knew they would never let him. So he decided to create his own and put his own spin on it. And he's pretty prominent in this time. He actually worked on a few of those action films that uh, we didn't mention from that era. And, and we'll get into that. But um, why don't we just break down what this film is about uh, before we jump in and, and let everybody know what we're talking about today. It, the synopsis is basically that Melissa McCarthy plays Susan Cooper, kind of an unassuming desk agent for the CIA. Uh, who spent her career kind of being the sidekick to someone in the field, played by Jude Law. He's this guy, could possibly be James Bond himself. Very suave, very cool. But he goes missing, and then a bunch of other CIA operatives are exposed. Very Mission Impossible with a knock list, all the identities of the agents. Um, and because Melissa McCarthy's character has been... It literally in the basement for her entire career, nobody knows who she is. So they send her into the field to bring down the arms dealer behind this whole plot. Um, there's also a nuke involved. That's her main thing is getting this nuke back. And uh, she sort of finds herself in this uh, pursuit, which is really cool. I mean, that's, that's kind of the heart behind it is that she finds this confidence. And uh, there are a lot of laughs around it, but I, I really like that there's sort of a sweet and and nice theme to it and she does a good job with it so that's a really good synopsis so where does uh statham come in and all this so statham's character uh name is rick ford which is a uh which is a great spy name so, so he he plays the the agent the, the blustering agent who kind of thinks that she's out of place doesn't know anything and he basically quits because he wants the job but doesn't really quit because then he just shadows her throughout the entire movie thinking that he's trying to fix what she's doing wrong but keeps messing things up and then she has to constantly <laughs> keep feeding him uh, which is a through line throughout the movie it's pretty great i mean he's really playing against type uh <laughs> and is just a fly in the ointment the whole time and it really makes you question whether the the things that he's talked about doing in the past actually happened. In fact, uh, Melissa McCarthy's character questions them the whole time. But uh, he's he really brings the absurdity in a way that he doesn't in like Crank, which I would say is probably the closest thing to comedy that he's had. I'm glad you mentioned that because as I was looking into this and reading stuff about it, it turns out that the reason that Paul Feig knew. Like the question was, well, can Jason Statham do comedy? And in his mind, he, he thought, well, of course he can, because he had seen Crank. So basically the reason Statham got this part was because Feig had seen Crank and knew based on just the, the absurdity of that movie that Statham could absolutely play comedy. And that's why he brought him on. So, uh, you know, good job by us for connecting these movies back to back. So uh, turns out one kind of led to the other. And I, I read that Paul Feig was once an aspiring stuntman, <laughs> which is like mind blowing to me. 
but uh, you do see him in the background in the hotel in Rome, walk into a wall uh, uh, as a drunken patron. So uh, there's a little bit of stunt action there. Um, but yeah, that th- he he loves the stunts and and he knew Statham did them in Crank and and uh, knew that it was funny. Brought him on and and wrote the part for him. What I realized uh, as well, you know, Jude Law and Statham both did a lot of their own stunts in this. And it turns out like Jude Law does kickboxing and is pretty good at doing physical stuff. So, uh, you know, both of the, the stunt coordinators had high praise for both of them in terms of what they could do and handling their own stunts. But again, and this has come up before with other people who talk about Statham, where they talk about how not only is he great at doing the stunt work, but he has an uncanny ability to know exactly what will look best on camera. And a lot of filmmakers actually defer to him on set in terms of how to block out scenes because he has an innate sense of the proper way to frame something and make it look good on camera. And this was mentioned with Beekeeper, David Ayer talked about it. And in listening to filmmakers talk about Spy, they mentioned the exact same thing. And I think, so I think that's a bit of an underrated quality that Statham has that he's a very good eye for how to frame his own action scenes to make them look best. That's amazing from, from a, a street seller in England to an Olympic diver to an action director, basically, <laughs> or action choreographer. It, it, wow, what a trajectory. Um, <laughs> it's pretty great. And he actually, you know, Melissa McCarthy too, uh, a very physical actress. I don't know that she did all of her stunts here. In fact, I read quite a bit of things where her stunt woman was clearly in frame because she had different shoes on in a lot of the scenes, but she, I think she probably had a good hand in it as well with, with the physicality. I mean, we learned from uh, all of her films that she's she's very like out there physically and, and doing a lot of stuff. So uh, yeah, just an all around uh, physical film and, and it it shows, it was really good. Yeah, she, uh, the, she obviously had a stunt double and, and a few scenes that you can tell, but the scene in the middle of the movie where she has the knife fight in the restaurant uh, is mostly her, and they block that out, and uh, she does a lot of the work in that scene. Uh, and you can see it because you see her face most of the time. So, uh, so that stuff she actually did. And that scene is interesting. I mean, I, I it's almost like uh, like a Hong Kong film and uh, very James Bond too. That's what I wrote in my notes when I was watching. You mentioned it. Jackie Chan specifically, and so I think that was definitely in their mind as they were doing it. Because uh, mm-hmm. who's the king of doing uh, practical comedy action? But Jackie yeah. Chan, who this basically is the blueprint for that. So I think it was very much an homage to Jackie Chan in terms of how that was framed. Like she's using pieces of bread and <laughs> broccoli and stuff, like whatever she can get her hands on. Is the, the chaos and absurdity of it. It is very Jackie Chan. It seems like that scene. I mean, we'll get to it, but uh, it it seemed like that scene had so much care put into it uh, as an homage that it, it really stood out. But I guess we should maybe start from the beginning and and just kind of get uh, get into the film as a narrative. I, I think it's important to look at Paul Feig's career a little bit in the lead up to this. He kind of came on the scene working with Judd Apatow when Freaks and Geeks, which is beloved by everybody. So stop there and just say that Freaks and Geeks, in, in my opinion, along with my so-called life going back a few years before, are probably two perfect seasons of television that were yeah. both completely done wrong by networks and canceled. 
But when you go back and look at Freaks and Geeks, just look at the people involved in it, and it's genuinely shocking mm-hmm. how many people involved with Freaks and Geeks in some way have gone on to have huge careers. All yeah. of the stars, people that had bit parts. Uh, you look at people that, that were cast in just random episode characters. Uh, a lot of those people end up going on a big work. And you have Apatow and Paul Feig as co-creators who go on to own comedy in movies in the next de- in the next two decades. So it, it's a fascinating show to go back and watch just to see where they both came from and uh, how all these people were involved in one television show. It's really something to behold 25 years later. And it was such a, a short-lived show. I mean, it, it even it's really interesting i mean not to get off on a freaks and geeks tangent anymore but uh you know what there's like 13 episodes that didn't even air all of them and it, it's considered one of the best shows of the last like 25 years uh it's really interesting it goes to show you that there's no accounting for taste i guess uh people didn't watch it and uh, you know well thank goodness for streaming i guess they're all discovering what they missed i don't know but we could spend uh, 12 hours talking about shows that I'm angry that were canceled by network television, but we won't get into that. But that's kind of, uh, Paul Feigen and Judd Apatow met on a film called Heavyweights in 1995, in which Feig uh, acted, actually, I think I he started as an actor. But then he went on to direct one film, I Am David, in 2003, and then also did Unaccompanied Minors, which is pretty great. Um, but then did a real run of television and the stuff he was involved in with television was uh, pretty incredible. I mean, Arrested Development, Mad Men, Parks and Rec, The Office, 30 Rock, uh, and the list goes on and on. So uh, what a career on the small screen. And then, uh, you know, gets together with Kristen Wiig and puts out Bridesmaids in 2013, or I'm sorry, 2011. And that just changed everything. Yeah, I mean, for him and for for comedy and for women. Yeah, and this is the third out of four movies that he made with Melissa McCarthy, starting with Bridesmaids. So they made Bridesmaids and then they made The Heat in, in 2013 with uh, Sandra Bullock, Bullock, which is another another movie that, that's really good on, on the rewatch. Uh, I really enjoyed that movie. And then this one, and then the, uh, I didn't even know how to talk about the Ghostbusters reboot, which, involves a whole bunch of kind of gross misogyny, which we won't get into. Uh, so it's almost hard to even talk about that movie on the merits, but uh, actually pretty decent movie. It's yeah. just jumbled in a whole bunch of cultural war garbage that, that sunk that movie. That's kind of what Feig became known for, uh, sort of a modern day George Cukor, uh, a, woman, a women's director. And uh, that run with Melissa McCarthy in particular is just... Uh, like the the early to mid 2010s were all about uh paul feig and and melissa mccarthy and i mean she delivers all the time uh she actually got nominated for an oscar for bridesmaids so it's pretty amazing uh that relationship and how it led to this and i'll say that this this film is a little different than the others for her we still haven't really gotten into the plot but I'll say that she, her, her character is someone who's very meek uh, for the first half of the film and sort of slowly discovers her confidence as she's out in the field being a field agent. But then she kind of turns into the same character from those other three films with that level of bravado and, and uh, just assertiveness that is, I mean, it still works, 
but I kept finding myself thinking, oh, this is the character from The Heat now. Uh, well, this one, though, is kind of a character that she puts on, though. It's a, it's a persona. Because <clears throat> uh, she realizes that's the, the way she has to be to save her life. But yeah, I mean, for me, and for many people's first exposure to Melissa McCarthy was on The Gilmore Girls, where she plays just the sweetest, nicest person. Um, and so seeing her in Bridesmaids was a, a jarring change where you didn't realize that she had that in her but also just how fantastically funny she can be and so this one kind of melds the two where you get both sides of, of her where you get the soft nice side and then the the character that we've come to know from watching know from watching her in movies so uh that, that's kind of why i enjoyed it maybe we can get into the plot a little bit the premise is that uh there's a nuclear bomb on the market basically it, it's kind of lost and the film opens with jude law's character Bradley Fine, and he keep, he always says, who's the finest of them all every time he kills someone, which is uh, pretty great. I mean, the tone is set right away when he first just throws a champagne glass in the middle of a room, but then he has his sights set on the main villain and his allergies kick in and he accidentally shoots into the head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a perfect recreation of an opening Bond sequence. Yeah until he sneezes and right. then you realize what movie you're actually involved in and then it goes into bond-like opening credits so it's okay. clear that it's it's very much uh an homage to to that franchise um so yeah the the bomb is on the market as we said uh these cia operatives are compromised um and the head of the CIA or the head of the department, who's played by Allison Janney, uh, a fantastic role for her, uh, just kind of an asshole to, at least to Melissa McCarthy's character. Uh, yeah, this is a great uh, part by Allison Janney that, that plays into her, uh, in a similar way to Melissa McCarthy in some ways, where she started off, when we know her from the West Wing, uh, she was a serious actress, and then kind of around 2010, she starts doing a little more comedy, and you find that she's really great at doing dry comedy work. I mean, she started working on Mom in 2013 as well, that sitcom. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, she has a wonderful dry sense of humor and can play street comedy uh, with, with the best of them. She's she's really good in this. Uh, not too many scenes, but when she's there, she's really uh, just kind of uh, not stealing the scene because I don't know how you can do that from Melissa McCarthy, but uh, holding her own for sure. And uh, so she reluctantly sends Melissa McCarthy into the field. So, so there's two running gags that kind of go through the movie. Uh, the first of which is her funny uh, CIA aliases that they give her. And the other one is that because all the non-field agents work in a, in a basement that's just infested with rodents. <laughs> and so the running gag throughout the whole movie is that as they're trying to do their job in the basement, there's like bats flying around and like there's mice on people's shoulders and just random things where if you look enough in the background, you see all rodents and things going around, which is really one of my favorite running bits. I, I, I laughed every single time that happened. It never got old for me. Yeah, it's pretty much every shot. There's a, a something, <laughs> whether it's a bat or a, a mouse or uh, any other thing you can think of. And uh, that actually reminds me that kind of an unsung hero of the film that we haven't talked about yet is Miranda Hart, who is uh, a British actress and comedian who I think does such a good job here from working in the office to actually getting out in the field later. 
she's sensational and actually uh, has quite a turn at the end <laughs> involving 50 Cent, which is pretty good. But yeah, she's she's one of, she basically it does the same job as Melissa McCarthy uh, by the end and, and uh, is, is a really good addition. And she calls upon the, the vermin quite a bit. Yeah, uh, and develops a relationship with 50 Cent, which is another thing that, that I wanted to bring up, which is really funny to me because we're talking about Statham kind of playing against type. But 50 Cent also playing against type where you have two guys that are kind of well known for being uh, macho guys with a lot of bravado. And it, it kind of, both of them turned in pretty surprising comedic performances. 50 Cent's pretty amusing in this movie, I, I have to say. As far as celebrity cameos go, this was a good one, and I, and I really enjoyed it. I don't know what his his status was in 2015 or 2016. I don't uh, pay attention to 50 Cent's career, but uh, I think he was probably a little more prominent than he might be now, so it's good to see him in there and a little surprising. Oh. That is true. The idea that 50 Cent will be playing a party uh, in Budapest or somewhere for fancy people was much more likely in 2015 than it is now. Yeah. So staying and... in the office, though, um, so Sam Richardson is is has a bit part. Very in little. The office of one of the people working in the basement. Uh, you know, very small part. And this is kind of before he ends up being in everything, which... He has now uh, become kind of a go-to comedy actor. And Zach Woods also makes a really small part. Yep. Uh, a memorable scene in this movie. And of course, the both of them end up starring in a TV show called The After Party, uh, you know, for Apple TV, which came out last year. They were both in that. But, um, you know, both of them are the, are the kind of comedy actors that started showing up everywhere. Uh, this is pretty early on in both of their careers. So it's, it's always fun to go back and watch older movies and see people uh, at that time before they became people that you see everywhere. Yeah, that, I especially love Zach Woods. I think he is a, a comic genius. Uh, and he, he actually pops up in a few, a few Paul Feig movies. Um, there are a few people actually who uh, show up here and, and show up in The Heat and Bridesmaids, uh, Mitch Sipla and, and Michael McDonald. Donald in particular, both uh, people who Feig seemed to work with a lot around this yeah. time. Much like Apatow, he has like a, a small stable of, of people that, that he'll keep bringing back that he's connected to, which is always really nice to see. And, and his, he's got a writing team as well that he keeps that even though he's credited with writing the screenplay, uh, because of the way that the, the, the movie works, you know, he keeps writers on set. And they're constantly writing jokes and throwing off ideas, even in the moment. Um, and, I, and I was going to talk about that regarding Jason Statham, uh, you know, a little bit down the road when, when we get there. Uh, some interesting stuff that, that I was reading about as we were looking into the movie. Well, we can get to that now because uh, we left off talking about uh, Melissa McCarthy's character being sent out into the field. And uh, it, before that happens, there's a there's a. CIA meeting where we're introduced to uh, Rick Ford, Jason Statham's character. And that scene bears discussing because it's right out of the gate, you know what you're getting with Statham. And it's, you're like, buckle up because <laughs> this is gonna be crazy. Uh, the first thing he talks about is a face-off machine uh, that tells you that's ground, ground zero. Yeah, where he believes there is a face-off machine and then kind of finds out that they're joking with him. But because his character is so stubborn, 
he actually thinks that they're lying to him about lying, that there really is one and they just won't tell him for sure. I have to say, he's so funny in this film. The only ding I would put on him is it seems like more than one or two lines of dialogue are not what he's used to. So everything is sort of phrased like a haiku with a break, uh, which so is interesting. That is actually what I wanted to bring up. And the reason I'm really impressed with, with Statham in this, I mean, first of all, he says more words in the four scenes he has in this movie than in the entirety of The Beekeeper and possibly the entire <laughs> trilogy of The Transporter. I mean, there's so much dialogue that he's throwing off, but it turns yeah. out they, as I mentioned before, he has a, a group of writers that are on set that are constantly writing jokes, do a lot of ad-libbing, but they also do a lot of just joke work in the moment and mm -hmm. run with stuff, and then they'll the editor cut out as they go. So it turns out that for most of Statham's scenes, there's someone off camera feeding him these lines. Oh. And he's just reciting them. He's just kind of going with it in the moment. And they're coming up with all this insanity that he starts talking about, about being trapped in a poison factory and all these other things. They're just throwing him lines off camera and he's just going with them and running with them. And that may be why you think that it's a little stunted because yeah. processing them in that moment and running with them, which that's high level comedy work. Um, I mean, that requires a certain level of processing. And I mean, that's because of the way Fee works and he's used to working with a lot of comedy actors and obviously Melissa McCarthy is as good as it gets at these kinds of things. So, I mean, he just steps into this and runs with it. And some of the stuff he ends up saying is truly bonkers. But I don't think any of that was in the script that he actually got. I think that was just stuff at that moment that they were writing for him, figuring out how absurd they could make his character. That makes so much sense. I mean, it, it you can feel uh, as you watch it. That was the one thing I noticed. It's like line, pause, line, pause. Uh, so yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so knowing that, it, it's even more impressive. Uh, the, the other thing I would say that what everyone should do is get the DVD of this. Uh, I know uh, that makes me sound old to say that I'm still watching DVDs, but I don't care. You get the DVD hey. because there's actually a couple of gag reels on the DVD. And, and you see them, you actually get to see Jason Statham laugh, which is amazing <laughs> uh, because I've never, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen that before on camera. Uh, so, so because it's so ridiculous and they're feeding him such stupidity, uh, th there's more than one scene where one of them just cracks. So yeah. Yeah, that's really fun to see that, that he you know really does have a good sense of humor and it's, uh, rolling with them. That's pretty great. Uh, I'll have to check that out. I I watched it on HBO Max. So, uh, and I they I don't know if they had gag reels at the end in the credits or not. I, I turned it off. No, they um, don't have gag reels at the end. Okay. They have some nice graphics about you know further missions that she ends up doing and and uh, that kind of thing, but but no gag. Well, that maybe that's how they uh, accommodated for the idea that they wanted this to be a franchise. Um, as, as well as the heat that was kind of Paul Feig's intention with these two films were uh, two separate franchises. Um, and I guess the, it didn't work out. Uh, well, yeah, the good news knows. is, if you, if you look it up, there is, so there is an entry for Spy 2 
uh, oh, okay. IMDb. Like it does exist, and there is talk that they were going to start filming it as soon as the end of 2023. That there was talk that it was going into pre-production. Oh wow! So the idea of a sequel to Spy is not dead, and um, and that would make sense because apparently Jason Statham only works in franchises now. So I mean, <laughs> that that would make perfect sense that, that they would make a Spy too. So don't give up hope. There may okay. still be a sequel to this coming down the pike, which I think we would all be in for. I think you could almost see this as a prequel to The Heat, uh, because Melissa McCarthy's character in that is almost like the pinnacle of the confidence that she builds in this film. Uh, and maybe she gets, I like to think that she's so confident that she basically becomes the Statham character and ends up getting fired and has to go to Boston PD. Uh, and then becomes the character from the heat. Like but yes, uh, uh, sticking with Statham, uh, Melissa McCarthy's character, her name's Susan, we should just say Susan, uh, he quits when it's decided that she's going out into the field. So Statham leaves, reminds them that he knows there's a face-off machine on his way out. And then she goes uh, out in the field and he shows up in her hotel room. And that's where we really get the just the perfect scene of him rattling off these lines that we're talking about um it's so insane uh the, the things he talks about and i started to wonder if they're not things from other movies that he was in <laughs> because i know that he did mention uh he gave him he zapped himself with a defibrillator which he does in crank 2 but I don't know, uh, and I just watched that, so that's why I remember. But I don't know if he does that any other, uh, or if any of the other things that he talks about happen in any of his films. I don't believe so. I don't, I don't believe that, uh, you know, watching his whole family get murdered and then uh, being in a, like a poison-eating contest. To, to <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think that, I don't even think Stephen could be in a movie with that stuff. Although, I... I believe he could. It would. It wouldn't surprise me that those were parts of Statham movies. But no, as far as I know, that is not. Happening. I just. I just wrote down a couple of the things in that he says in in the hotel room, and uh, he basically says, "I make it a habit of doing things people say I can't do: walk through fire, water ski blindfolded, take up piano at a late age." Hey, there's no sweat. It's like you sweat to me. Jesus. What are you doing in my room? Well, how did I get into this shitbox hotel room? Because I'm a real spy. I thought you quit. We have to stop the sale of a nuclear bomb. And they send in someone who looks like Santa Claus's fucking wife. Uh, did you forget? I am undercover. Because you're not supposed to be here. Well, I make a habit of doing things that people say I can't do. Walk through fire, water ski blindfolded, take up piano at a late age. And I'm gonna take down DeLuca and Raina and Dudiev. I'm gonna get that bomb back. Why do you even care what I do? You really think you're ready for the field? I won't use defibrillators on myself. I've put shards of glass on my fucking eye. I've jumped from a high-rise building using only a raincoat as a parachute and broke both legs upon landing. And I still had to pretend I was in a fucking Cirque du Soleil show. I've swallowed enough microchips and shit them back out again to make a computer. This arm has been ripped off completely and reattached with this fucking arm. I don't know that that's possible. I mean, medically. During the threat of an assassination attempt, I appeared convincingly in front of Congress as Barack Obama. In blackface? 
That's not appropriate. I've watched the couple that raised me explode in a van. I watched the woman I love get tossed from a plane and hit by another plane midair. I drove a car off a freeway on top of a train while I was on fire. Not the car. I was on fire. Jesus, you're intense. Amazing. Credit to them for understanding that only someone like him could actually deliver these these lines because more of a, a if you brought in more of a comedy actor, it doesn't play as funny because you don't wouldn't necessarily believe that they believe it or that they've done it. But with Statham, and especially after all the other movies he's done, you can believe sure, like he is very believable to have done any of these things, and you can see it in your head, which is why his his casting is perfect and, and why they had the ready to for him, I'm sure. To speak to that, I think uh the Peter Serafinowicz character, um, yeah. he plays Aldo, uh, is is kind of a good example of that. He's a comedic actor. It, it's so big um, that it, it, it's too much. But when you have Statham doing it, because you know who he is, it, it just, it hits perfectly. Right. It um, relies on you having an, a, a knowledge of Statham in, in a way that makes that stuff. Well, even if you don't know who he is, you will think the character is great. But if you've watched any of his movies, it's an added wrinkle that makes it perfect. In terms of even all the casting, I mean, you know, this is the second movie that they, that they make with Rose Byrne, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and they talk about that this, the her part was originally written as like a 19 year old girl. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that was supposed to be the part and she throws temper tantrums and there's a lot of that in the movie. Uh, but when they found that Rose Byrne was available, they, they love her so much that they decided to cast her in the part and rewriting it to make it fit her and they had to figure out what to do with it. And that's where they came up with, with the accent and the hair and, and all of that. Uh, so they kind of rewrote it around her because they, they love her. And she's very, I mean, I wouldn't say underrated anymore in terms of comedy because she's done quite a few things, uh, including that Apple TV show with Seth Rogen. Uh, oh yeah. The name, the name escapes me, but- uh, Platonic. Yeah, platonic. So. She's proven her comedy chops over and over. Back here in 2015, uh, I, I think she wasn't truly appreciated for how funny she could be. And she's wonderful in, in this movie. Uh, the lines that she delivers in, in, in that straight face with, with that accent is is so perfect. Yeah, she. I mean, it's it's like linear for the whole film. It doesn't change her, her demeanor. Uh, she gets upset once in a while, but... Um... So much better than a 19 year old, as I'm thinking about what that would be like. It, it, it's so much funnier to have a grown woman throwing temper tantrums. And she actually plays, we should say, the daughter of the man Jude Law kills at the beginning. She inherits the bomb. And Melissa McCarthy's whole mission is to find her, just observe and report basically. But Melissa McCarthy starts building that confidence that we were talking about at the beginning. And so she infiltrates uh, Rose Byrne's character's world, basically. And the two of them together are sensational. I mean, it's it's really straight man and, and comedic, I shouldn't say man, straight woman and comedic woman. Uh, and they they kind of end up being friends in the end sort of yeah. uh, which does it definitely helps that all three you know paul feed roseburn and Melissa mccarthy had worked on bridesmaids i think they, mm -hmm. they developed a, an understanding of how each other worked and you can see that comfort here because 
they play off of each other so well. The, so the budget for this was $65 million, and I think a lot of that is travel. I mean, it's uh, there's some great locations in this. I know it was shot in uh, uh, Bulgaria for a bit of it. It's stunning to look at. And they one, mentioned, one the... uh, sorry to interrupt, they, they actually talk about how uh, they filmed most of the movie in Budapest. And they mention how they're like the first big budget movie to actually film in Budapest but call it Budapest. Hmm. Uh, whereas lots of other movies use that those locations. I think you know Mission Impossible did some scenes there, and, and quite a few movies have filmed there, but they uh, make it other places. They make it Italy, they'll make it a different country. They won't yeah. actually call it Budapest. And that allowed them a certain level of access to certain locations they were able to use because it was promoting the actual place as opposed to making it somewhere else. So I thought that was a pretty interesting tidbit that I, that I stumbled across. That's cool. Uh, uh, well, then maybe the <laughs> maybe the budget didn't go to travel after all. Maybe it, it went to uh, Jason Statham. I don't know. Well, I mean, they still had to fly a whole bunch of people out to Budapest. So that's uh, yeah, that's true. But yeah, uh, as it says in the film, it. it takes place in Rome and, and Budapest and Bulgaria. So there's there's some great scenery to look at and, and it's a very international feeling film. There's even a Casino Royale moment kind of in this hotel where there's a card game, uh, which Susan promptly gets kicked out of. Um, but just the, the Bond homages and they kind of go all the way throughout, which is nice. So yeah, the, the idea is that she embeds herself with Rose Byrne's character. Uh, her name's Rhea and tracks down this bomb uh, with Jason Statham popping up and getting in the way, completely telling her she's going to mess it up every time and then proceeding to mess it up himself eventually. And I suppose this is a spoiler, but you know, the thing's pretty old. So uh, we learned that Jude Law's character, Bradley Fine is still alive and he's uh, playing a double agent working with Rose Byrne to find this bomb. So he's reunited with uh, Susan at the end and they meet Bobby Carnavale, who kind of shows up here and there throughout the film. Uh, he plays DeLuca, the sort of big bad and and uh, he and Rose Byrne were an item at the time. I guess they still are, I don't know, but uh, they seem to enjoy working together around this time. So uh, maybe that's why he's in there or maybe why she's in there, I don't know. Yeah, I believe this was the third movie that they made together around, around this period of time. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they are married now. I know that for a fact. Okay. They did, uh, I think they did Adult Beginners, uh, like the like right. before. And they were both an Annie, the, the Annie reboot. Oh. And then, and, then they, and then they were in this, I believe. But they had started dating a, a few years before. Was that the, the Cameron Diaz film? The, the Annie? I'm pretty yeah. sure. It's, yeah, I think that she was Mrs. Havisham, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't don't quote me. I, I'm not perfect on my recollection of Annie reboots. <laughs> well, I remember there was a live one on television too. It was, uh... That's right. Yeah, not to get to People Magazine about it, but yes. Uh, so they're things to a third movie working together, and they're married, and uh, seem very happy. Good, good for them. But yeah, so that that, that again, uh, I think that just everyone in the movie has a really. A good chemistry and clearly they have good chemistry because uh, they, they like each other so and, th and that comes off that they're a good they're a good duo uh, 
but but he's another guy who um has just done fantastic work over the past decade and a half he's sort of popping up with more and more things i think the first thing i saw him in was actually boardwalk empire where he plays mm-hmm. a psychopath um in season two he's just nuts um and but turns out he's got comedy chops like uh, like anybody else, and he holds his own. So he ends up being pretty funny. He, he, uh, he's in one of my favorite films, Chef, with the John Favreau film. Right, uh, fantastic in that. So you can imagine where this goes. Uh, Susan finds her confidence, and and uh, the the sale of this nuclear weapon is thwarted, um, and she becomes a full time field operative for the CIA uh finds her confidence uh i don't know that we have to get too far into detail about the rest of the plot uh it's definitely worth watching uh it's a lot of fun and like we've been saying it's it's cast really well written really well um has what i think is kind of a surprising rotten tomatoes score the critics score on there is 95 percent which is amazing to me uh the audience score is 78 which is still fantastic but uh a 95 percent critic rating is is staggering to me <laughs> that's pretty great and it, it tells you how good this film is uh especially when it was made i mean i don't know yeah, if it was I'm made surprised today and, and yet i'm not surprised because i think that people don't appreciate how hard it is to pull off a movie like this and make both things work and hearing them talk about it they were very much conscious of the fact that they were trying to make an action movie and not a, and not the comedy that they didn't want the movie to ever fall in a parody right very easy to do so you can think of the naked gun and all those kinds of things that, mm-hmm. that just played for laughs and so while they're writing jokes on the fly and while they're playing things for laughs they they were very serious about filming the action in a certain way but also making sure that the beats of the movie were action movie things as opposed mm-hmm. to just being a movie that that was going for jokes all the time. Jokes are embedded within a serious storyline that they're actually trying to tell. And again, I think that the, that's a high level of difficulty to make that work. As we talked about how many bad action comedies came out between 2010 and 2020, I mean, there's only about four that I actually like. So uh, it's a fine line to walk. When you have a good script that walks the line well with a, a bunch of actors who are all cast perfectly for what they're supposed to do uh i think this one ranks right up there with with the the best of the time yeah i think uh it sort of finds a sweet spot where some of the other stuff paul feig did at that time well i guess there's only the heat which was fine but that leaned more heavily onto comedy i think um and that maybe sort of did the groundwork for this but uh I think this one really just kind of checks the boxes as far as an action film goes um, and a comedy, you know, but uh, it, it, yeah, I, it's really a good film. I was happy to rewatch it. It has been a long time and it did pretty well at the box office too. Like I said, the budget was $65 million, uh, made 29 million its opening weekend uh and 235 million lifetime so that's uh that's quite a a profit that it turned but it's opening weekend it opened against dwayne johnson in san andreas uh which was uh not quite as good 
um Sad. spy i remember seeing that movie uh, yeah that, that that was kind of where i felt like the rock was just kind of like yeah if you send me a script i'll do it it's fine <laughs> yeah pretty much um that came in second to spy spy took the weekend with 29 million like i said san andreas made 26 uh rose Byrne shows up in the third film of the of the week insidious chapter three which made 23 million Number four, this is pretty amazing, at $10 million, the Entourage film. Holy which God, I forgot that even happened. Wow. Yeah, $10 million. Um, that edged out at number five, Mad Max Fury Road at $8 million. Uh, that's interesting. And on the surface, you would think, how the hell does Mad Max get edged out by Entourage? But Mad Max had been out for a month already. So the fact that it's still number five uh, says a lot about it. So yeah, two Rose Byrne films opening that weekend. And actually there's another Jason Statham film that weekend called Wild Card, which is one that I don't know that I've ever even seen. But uh, so you have two stars of Spy having two films opening weekend, which uh, is pretty cool. And so I was thinking that um, Central Intelligence actually comes out the following year. So I wonder if uh, The Rock learned after getting San Andreas by this movie, it's maybe uh, more his wheelhouse and should move in this direction. So he ends up uh, making Central Intelligence, which is similar in, in certain ways. I, that would be a good double feature with this, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of a different story, but uh, kind of the same feel and, and uh, balances the humor and action a, a little better than uh, some of the other rock stuff that where he does comedy. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. All right, I think that's about it for this episode. We've we've covered uh, Spy. We highly recommend. Well, it. Hang on, I have I have a oh. few useless bits of info that I wanted to share about. Oh, let's hear them. That I that I kind of discovered as I was watching this and reading something about it. Uh, the first was that for this team, well, this was the first of so we've done four movies with Melissa McCarthy. This is the third one. This is the first one that Paul Fee actually wrote. Uh, mm -hmm. he and bridesmaids he didn't he didn't write um, right. but this is also the first movie that collectively his team shot digitally as opposed to using film hmm. uh, and then we talked about that with crank but started to use digital cameras yeah. and so this is actually their first time using digital and they mentioned something that i didn't know that i thought was fascinating as just a nerd about movies that i'll share with all of you that um you know we know that digital cameras make images a lot more crisp than film mm -hmm. um you know TV-like almost, where things are very clear and bright. And so one of the things that they do to make it look more like film is they use smoke. Like they'll fill the, the room with smoke, which deflects some of the crispness of the film and makes it look more like a film with a slightly darker tone as opposed to that bright TV-like image that you get with a digital camera. Hmm. And I just, that was a really fun thing to learn that, that I share with you. Wow. I think they would just add it in post now <laughs> and not go practical with smoke. Well, they talk, well, yeah, they actually talk, though, about having smoke in the room. Uh, so in, in the scene. So that was that was kind of fascinating. I like uh, that. They do all kinds of weird things to bring down the, 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 the brightness where mm -hmm. they, uh, they use like balloons that they float to the ceiling, which it's kind of uh, deflect some of the light or they'll mm -hmm. in, the, in the paint walls darker, like all these like little tricks sure. keep it from looking really bright. And yeah. so so those are just things that I found uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, 
because I'm I'm not a filmmaker, so I don't know all these these little tricks. Yeah, there are a lot of little things that that can be done uh, that you never know about, and they're always pretty fun to hear about. Not things you would think of, but uh, sometimes when they're not done in in an editing room uh, with VFX, they're so simple and and so <laughs> just like basic that you are amazed at what they do. Uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, that's that's my wheelhouse. <laughs> and, and the other thing I, I wanted to mention is what we're talking about. Paul Feig movies is um, he hasn't. I said I hope Spy Two happens. I hope that they work together again as well. Wilson uh, McCarthy, Paul Feig, and also Jason Statham. I really hope they work together. Uh, you know, after seeing this, you you see how much potential Statham has to actually do, you know, real comedy if if he if he wants to. And um, we talked about with the Beekeeper how he's moving towards almost less dialogue uh but this proves he could certainly do more dialogue and, and i i would love to see him do a few more movies like this so i really hope that spy 2 happens but um another movie that Alfie made a few years later is a movie called a simple favor mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a thriller that i don't think a lot of people saw or that aware of but i highly recommend it and i won't say anything about it because I think that you just need to see it and uh, experience how, how it goes. Uh, but supposedly they're, they're working on a sequel to that as well. So those are two things that I, I kind of hope, I'm not huge on sequels, but those are two movies that I would be more than happy to see sequels of. I'm trying to think of what a simple favor, I actually watched this the other night, uh, just to kind of uh, refresh my memory on Paul Feig films. and. Trying to think of how that could work as a sequel. I, I'm not really sure either, but I would certainly be there for it. Yeah, that was definitely a different tone than this and, and a lot of what uh, Feig has done. Uh, I think that was his first film after this run with Melissa McCarthy, actually. But um, still really uh, putting women at the forefront, which I love. I mean, like I, like I said, you know, uh, the modern day George Cukor uh, making films with women for women uh by women in some cases uh so yeah i mean a simple favor really i i think kind of shows the range that paul feig has um which yeah is that's, great. that's not really comedy in any way it's, it's very much a, a suspense thriller um and, and and really works and plays off of the idea that and that's the thing too the reason I, I bring it up is it kind of ties into the idea that what paul feig saw in jason statham is that his persona allowed you to play off of that persona you kind of knowing mm-hmm. him and making that work in terms of comedy whereas in this movie we all see anna kendrick in a certain way mm-hmm. from uh seeing her in pitch perfect and we kind of think of her as cute and um you know perky and all of that all those things we ascribe to 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 her characters uh and this movie uses that to kind of play off of that idea and turn it on its head and mm-hmm. then lets her go off in a way that you don't necessarily expect which is really really fun so i I love the idea of of taking characters and playing with the expectations you have for them and uh that's what he did with her in this like he did with statham and spy so yeah i the more we talk about these these different films of paul feig's i'm really realizing uh, just how versatile he is um i always imagine him as a comedy director you know but uh there's so much to him and he actually goes on to make a christmas movie in 2019 
Last um, Christmas. Uh, that that was not a TV. That was not a TV film. Is it good? Oh man, that's really hard to say. Um, <laughs> so it's got good people in it. I mean, Amelia Clark is really good, and and Henry Golding is uh, Henry Golding is um, he, he's he's a charming actor. Oh, and, uh, and in a simple favor. Yeah, and is well and is well cast in that. But uh, I think it just depends on how how much. Yeah, I won't. I don't want to spoil the movie for anybody, but it really depends on how much mileage you want to get on a certain trip. I, I don't think anybody would mind if you spoil Last Christmas. <laughs> uh, it, but yeah, weaves the idea is that I think that it's almost it weaves the the Last Christmas song by Wham. It, yeah, it, like used almost as a tribute to like George Michael. So was that mute? So George Michael's music kind of weaves throughout the whole movie. So one it depends on how much mileage you get out of movies based on George Michael songs but also how much mileage you get out of uh, movies about ghosts, I guess. Uh, sorry, right. sorry to spoil it for those that haven't okay. seen it. But that is, that's about it. And it's fine. I always kind of watch one or two terrible Christmas movies every year, uh, usually romantic comedy based. I don't know. I don't know why. It's like two in the morning and I'll throw it on and I'll watch. They're fun. And this one, it's fine. I don't think I'd watch it again, but it was okay. I'll put it in my queue for uh, th this holiday season. Yeah, next question, you should throw it in. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap up. Since we're talking about Paul Feig, uh, just because I want to mention this, um, it, it, we're looking at his filmography. One of the things he did for TV, which is, I think, incredibly under the radar, uh, he worked on a couple episodes of a show called Bored to Death uh, on HBO, which is... Um, it starred Jason Statham and, and Zach Galifianakis in an early role and Ted Danson. Wait, wait, you just uh, said it starred Jason Statham. Oh, <laughs> boy, that would be a different uh, a different show altogether. It stars Jason Schwartzman. I'm telling you, I Statham on the brain. What if we recast Statham in everything? Uh, maybe that's something to do in, in our uh, wrap-up episode. But yeah, this, so this show is, is created by the author Jonathan Ames. Um, who is fantastic and uh it was on hbo i don't know mid uh, early to mid 2010s uh very short-lived but uh just a lot of fun it was kind of a, a detective show um so if you haven't seen that good work by paul feig and and uh everybody else involved i, I recommend checking it out and on that note uh unless you have anything else i think we're done no, I think uh, I think this is good. I, I think we can wrap it up there. I don't want to give people the entire movie so they can go watch it. We both highly recommend Spy, um, so please do go watch it. I'm sure you can find it on streaming. And next week we wrap up our Jason Statham month with uh, a pretty exciting double feature. We're gonna we're gonna discuss his work with Guy Ritchie and look at Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. Uh, I have to say, I saw Snatch before Lockstock, and I, I think that's where I first discovered Jason Statham. So that really set the bar high for me, and, and he hasn't disappointed since. Yeah, I'm excited to get back to watching those two. I haven't seen them in, in a very long time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, I think sort of like middle-of-the-road Statham, if I remember correctly. Uh, kind of funny, kind of action-packed. So... Uh, like early early iterations of crank in some ways i guess there's a little cheekiness uh but they're still action-based uh or at least like mob based so uh gonna be fun uh look forward to that and uh yeah so 
in the meantime, if you want to check us out, check us out online. Uh, we are Movie Throwdown Pod all over social media, and you can follow us at patreon.com slash moviethrowdownpod, where you can find all kinds of fun stuff um, and be part of our family. So until next week, uh, keep watching Jason Statham movies, and we'll see you next time. So long.